Good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we worship the Lord together. Uh, before we begin, I need to remind you that next Sunday at 9.55 approximately, we'll be having our annual meeting. Everyone is invited to attend. Church members encourage you especially to be here as we will be voting on our budget for 2024 as well as deacon nominations and uh, those two, uh, the proposed budget and the list of deacon nominees are on the bulletin board by the office. And also, if you're newer to Hannaford, and we have what we call Discover Hannaford. We have it about four or so times a year, and it'll be next Sunday after second service. There'll be a light lunch provided. It's very informal, but some of the different ministry leaders, various areas of ministry, as well as church leadership will be there, and we can uh, just... We'd be honored to get to know you a little better and to answer any questions that you may have. So uh, please uh, consider that. If you're new to Hannaford, we'd love to spend a little time after second service to get to know you a little better. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we recognize that as Almighty God, you care about us. You care about our pain and our hurts. You are the great comforter. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, and as we recognize your power, may we look to you for our strength and our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all like stories with happily ever after endings. Could you imagine if reading children's bedtime stories, and each night the story would end, and they lived miserable lives, and things were horrible for the rest of their days. I have a feeling if that was a regular occurrence, people or children might say, you know, I don't need a bedtime story tonight. Some people like Hallmark movies. Why? Well, two reasons. You don't have to think too hard, because about 33 seconds in, you know exactly what's going to happen and who's going to be kissing in the snow at the end of the show. <laughs> but also, it, it ends with a positive ending. And you can see them live happily ever after. In today's story from Luke chapter 5, we see a happily ever after ending. But there are a few curves in the road that come before the happily ever after. Let's read the story found in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17 through verse 26. It says, beginning in verse 17, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Let's begin with just a little bit of a background of what's happening here. Jesus was teaching in Galilee. And as he was teaching, going throughout the region, we see that Jesus was drawing larger crowds. And those crowds included... As time went on, some religious leaders that were getting concerned over Jesus' growing number of followers. We see there in verse 17, it says, There were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And so the crowds were growing And the religious leaders were becoming more concerned. And so we see Jesus here in a house and the crowds had gathered in. They filled the house and and they were even outside trying to hear and see Jesus. Now it's important to know that in this passage we see two terms that are used for the first time in the book of Luke. And these two terms we'll run into multiple times throughout the book. The first is the first mention of the Pharisees. We read there in verse 17. Pharisee, the name means separated one. The Pharisees were part of the religious leaders. They were considered leaders of the common people. We call, oftentimes they talk about the scribes and the Pharisees. But they also mentioned the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the Sadducees were were considered the elite. The Pharisees, as well as the scribes and the Sadducees, were famous for coming up with their laws. And they wielded great power in Israel. And they, as we will see throughout the book of Luke, through each of the Gospels, we see that they are constant opponents to Jesus' ministry. But there's another term that is first mentioned in Luke here in chapter 5, and we find it in verse 24, and that's the term, Son of Man. Jesus here, and at many other times, called himself the Son of Man. In fact, this is the first of 25 times in the book of Luke that we see the term Son of Man used. The name has Old Testament roots, and it was a messianic title. We see in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, the term Son of Man, as well as many other times in the Old Testament. But in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, it says this, I was watching in the night visions, that's Daniel, And behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given, this Son of Man, was given dominion and glory 
and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. You see, this Son of Man will have an eternal kingdom, and it's pointing to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the title, Son of Man, reminds us that, yes, Jesus identifies with us. He came to this earth in the form of a man, and he was fully man, but yet he was also fully God. Not only that he identifies with us, but his divine authority. And so we see these two terms introduced that will be used many times throughout the book of Luke. But also in this story here in verses 17 through 26, we see three miracles. We like to focus on the one, but we find there are actually three. The first miracle is found in verse 20. Luke chapter 5 and verse 20 says, When he saw their faith, that's the faith of these friends who brought their friend to Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Well, this miracle was not necessarily the one that those in attendance were looking for. It was the greatest and the most important of the three. We need to understand that God is more concerned about eternity while we are often more concerned about the here and now. God is more concerned about eternity. We're often more concerned about the here and now. See, God recognized that the greatest miracle that could be performed upon this man was the forgiveness of sins. Because that has an eternal consequence. While simply healing his paralysis would definitely benefit him for this lifetime, but not for eternity. So God is more concerned about eternity. We're often more concerned about the here and now. The other two miracles had temporary results, while the miracle of forgiving the man's sin had eternal results. But what are the other two miracles? The second miracle is found in verse 22. Verse 22 says, But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? He knew what they were thinking. And he knew they were questioning his authority to forgive sin. God knows what we think. He not only sees our actions, but he knows our attitudes. He not only hears our words, but he recognizes our thoughts. Psalm 139, a very powerful psalm speaking of the incredible power of God, even as we're in the womb, God has ordained our lives. 
But in the first four verses of Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God knows everything about us. He has knit us together in our mother's womb. And he desires a relationship with us. And Jesus, as he was standing there sharing with the crowds, and, he, and this man is brought before him, and he says, your sins are forgiven, he understood the thoughts of those religious leaders who questioned his authority to forgive sins. So we see that God knows our thoughts. And Jesus Christ, as God, knew the thoughts of those religious leaders. But the third miracle is the one that we oftentimes focus on in the passage. The miracle that everyone was waiting for. Healing the man of his paralysis. Verse 24 said, or says, He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. This man's story has a very happy ending. Physical healing of his body and eternal healing of his soul. But this leads us to consider a couple very important aspects concerning healing. We must recognize that God still heals, but not always the way that we want. There's three different ways that, that God can heal. He can heal miraculously. He can heal medically. Or he can heal eternally. And all three are incredible demonstrations of God's power. In today's story, we, we see the miraculous healing when he told the man to take up his bed and walk. We see medical healing every day. God can use medicine. And God has created man with the ability to come up with medicines and treatments that help people. And we see medical healing every day. But the third kind of healing, in the long run, is the most important but often is the hardest for us to understand. And that's eternal healing. You know, he may choose not to heal in this life, but we can take hope in eternal healing. We know that God will wipe away all tears. He will remove all disease for eternity to those who follow him. While we want to take away the sickness or disease right now, sometimes we must face the pain, the suffering, and because of sin in our world, even death. Johnny Erickson Tata, you may or may not be familiar with her, at age 17, she was in a diving accident and she became paralyzed 
from the neck down. She is now over 70 years old, which is a miracle in itself. But she's had a, a ministry for many years that reaches out to those who have similar struggles. And uh, she paints using her mouth to hold the brush. She's written many books, reaches out to many people who are disabled and encourages them in their hope in Christ. But she made this statement. She says, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. You see, God may allow pain in order to bring us closer to him. Pain is the consequence of sin. Death is the consequence of sin in this world. We live in a sinful world. But God can use that pain to bring us closer to him. While we may not necessarily want to walk through the dark valley, when we are, we can be comforted in God's presence and God's perfect will in our life. And we have the hope of eternity with him if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Throughout the Gospels, we see many miraculous healings, miracles. In John chapter 5, we read of one is by a pool, the pool of Bethesda. And, and we read, and again, it's a miraculous thing where this guy that's been evidently paralyzed for 38 years is healed. But there's two parts that we often overlook. One is the fact that he had been fighting his disability for 38 years. For 38 years he lived with that pain, that frustration, the hurt. But there's a second part also. And that's the fact that there are a multitude of people with various health problems that were by that pool that Jesus didn't heal that day. Can you imagine as they sat or laid there and Jesus walked by them to go to the one? Was Jesus' love any less in their lives? No. But yet, he healed the one and not the others that day. But we can be confident in God's love because he offered each and every one the ultimate healing. The first of the three miracles here in Luke 5 is available for each and every one. Your sins are forgiven and your eternal destiny is changed. But the narrative here also brings us to another struggle that we will see throughout the book of Luke, throughout the Gospels. And that was the struggle as the people saw Jesus, as they listened to his teaching, as they watched the miracles. 
the question of who is this Jesus? Now we find here in Luke chapter 5, as the crowds grew, the religious leaders became more concerned and they had people from throughout the region of Galilee, also people from Judea and Jerusalem, close to a hundred miles away that came to see what was happening. Jesus had been doing some pretty amazing things. He had been making some very powerful statements. So the question that each one of them had to ask, and each person who has lived throughout this world has to ask the same question, who is this Jesus? The question that they debated, is he God or blasphemer? Notice what it says in verse 21. And it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The scribes and the Pharisees got it right when they said only God can forgive sin. But here was their issue. They had a disconnect. And their disconnect occurred because while they watched the miracles, while they heard the teaching, they did not believe that Jesus was God. These religious leaders considered him a blasphemer. Now the Jews had three levels of blasphemy. The first level is speaking evil of God's law. This was the offense that Stephen was accused of in Acts 6 and Paul in Acts 21. They were both falsely accused of of committing this sin of speaking evil of God's law. The first level of blasphemy. The second level of blasphemy we see described in the Old Testament in Leviticus 24, and that's to slander or speak evil or curse God. But the ultimate blasphemy was to assume the role of God. And this is the offense that the religious leaders were accusing Jesus of here in Luke chapter 5. He claimed to do something that only God could do. We see Jesus confronted them concerning their thoughts, the second miracle. And so to demonstrate his power and authority, he performed the third miracle, healing the man of his paralysis. And in doing that, he pointed to the fact that he could forgive sin because he was God. He showed them what they could see to help them recognize what they could not see, The evidence of the man walking pointed to the power of God. Could you imagine someone going to the grocery store and and, uh, walking down the aisle and, and saying, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. People just out of hand would say, that guy is crazy. Catch your attention in a little different way when if there was someone in a wheelchair and that man said, stand up and walk. A statement that could be tested to see if it were true. Why did, the Jesus, why did Jesus heal the man of his paralysis? To show his power 
and point to the fact that he could do the greatest of the three miracles, forgive the man's sin. We see that the people there in the New Testament and people today struggle with that question, who is Jesus? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, God the Son, has the power to forgive. To heal physically, but to heal spiritually also. In verse 26, we find the response of the people. The response to what was taking place that day. Verse 26 said, And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now you look at that verse and you say, That's pretty impressive. That's great. But they didn't go quite far enough. And we see actually there, there are four aspects Four parts to their response. The verse begins, they were amazed. Yeah, they had just seen some pretty amazing things. They had been listening to Jesus' teaching, but they had just seen a man healed. I think everybody would be amazed after watching that. We see a second, they glorified God. Again, another natural and good response. In verse 25, it says, The man left glorifying God, and so they joined in. A good thing. The third part of their response, it says there, they were filled with fear. Now, there are three types of fear. The first type is a panic, which is caused by frightening circumstances. Since the weather's a little warmer than it was last weekend, you say, hey, I'm going to go out for, a, for an afternoon hike up in the hills. And you're walking along the trail, and you come face to face with the grizzly bear. Now, I know some of you may have a pistol with you, and you may not be as alarmed as others, but I think most of us would have at least a little bit of fear. I hope I'm not between them and any cubs. I hope they're not hungry. I hope they don't see me as an enemy. Fear. Spontaneous panic as we face frightening circumstance. The second type of fear is long-term anxiety. That could be described as things like a fear of heights. But there's a third type of fear, and this is a type of fear that's, that's often referred to in Scripture, and that's fear that is the result of understanding God's holiness and power, which should produce reverence for God. Again, as we began our study of Luke back in December, as we looked those first few weeks looking at the coming of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus Christ, as the angel came to different individuals or groups of people and says they were filled with fear. And that part was the first part of fear that, whoa, 
but also the third part is they came face to face with the holiness of God. But we should have that reverential fear of God. Unfortunately, I think in in stressing His love and mercy, which it's important to stress, we don't spend any time focusing on His holiness and His power and His majesty. And as those people saw what Jesus was doing that day, they had fear. They saw a glimpse of the power of God. But by the way, that power of God is evident in our lives, in our world each and every day as we live. And we need to recognize that and have that reverential fear. So we look at those things and we say, yeah, it's pretty good. But the fourth part of their response was the part that's interesting. They said, we have seen strange things today. Now I want you to take that in comparison with what we looked at last week in the life of Peter. When Peter observed the miracle of catching all the fish, so many fish that two boats began to sink. What did Peter do? He went to Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he worshipped him. These people said, we have seen strange things today. And they didn't take it to that next step. At least a lot of them didn't take it to that next step of connecting Jesus with the power of God and recognizing that Jesus truly was the Son of God. In John, 30, on John 12, 37, another time when Jesus was performing miracles and the people were watching, and it's a very sad reflection upon their response. It says in John 12, 37, But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. For many of them, they were amazed, but it did not lead into faith that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Faith in Jesus Christ is their only hope. But I'd like to close today with a part that we sort of skipped over. But I want us to focus on as we close and challenge us with the actions of these good friends. We see these good friends talked about in verses 18 and 19. Beginning in verse 18, it says, Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they had sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. These guys were the definition of good friends. You see, this man's friends were determined and they were resourceful. 
They knew they needed to get this man to Jesus, and they were going to do whatever it took. They were determined and resourceful. They didn't give up when their path to Jesus was blocked. They didn't want to let their friend down, so they determined to let their friend down through the roof in order to see Jesus. Now, I worked on that pun for a while, but you guys didn't even get it. They couldn't let him down. So they went up on the roof. Now, their architecture was a little different then than, than ours is today. But, but oftentimes, the roofs were really part of their, their living space. They spent a lot of time up on the roofs, and they would have tiles, and they could take them off, and there was probably something else below the tiles that they had to dig through. But they took off the tiles. They dug through what was ever underneath there, and they let him down right in front of Jesus. Good friends. And Jesus was impressed with their faith. Remember what it said in verse 20? It says, when he, when Jesus saw there the friend's faith. He didn't notice the faith of the man on the mat. He noticed the faith of the friends who brought him to see Jesus. These friends stood out in two ways. First, they did not give up on their friend. And secondly, they knew exactly what their friend needed. Their friend needed Jesus. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be like those friends. We need to be faithful, standing with them, walking alongside them, even in the most difficult of circumstances. These friends did so much for their friend who was paralyzed, recognizing that at that time he couldn't do much in return. But it didn't make a difference because they were faithful friends. Scripture tells us that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. They were good friends in that way, but also they were good friends because they took him to his only hope, Jesus Christ. And we need to be faithful friends, walking alongside in the midst of difficult circumstances and at all times pointing them to Jesus Christ. I saw a survey this week which they, they interviewed people who were regular church attenders and, and what caused them to begin going to church. 86% said that it was a friend's invitation. Often when we hear a story of a person who gives their life to Christ, they talk about circumstances, and, and it always seems like there's different people that are brought into their lives who are Christ followers, who are Christians. And those people's lives interweave with the life of that person where eventually they put their faith and trust in Christ. It may be just one, but oftentimes it's more than one. Someone in their workplace, a neighbor, a friend, a relative, most often a combination who God uses to bring those people 
or that person to Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that God has placed in our sphere of influence people who need Jesus. And we need to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing to point them to Christ? Invite them to church. Live a testimony. Share what God's doing in our lives. And so that they can see Jesus Christ through us. Now the Mark account says that there were four friends. Matthew and Mark also describe this account of the man being healed. But these four guys were incredible friends. They were faithful, and they knew what their friend needed. And they wouldn't let anything keep them from getting this man to Jesus Christ. And because of that, the man in our story today had a very happy ending. He had friends who would not quit until they brought him to Jesus. He came to the house laying on a mat, and he left carrying it. And most importantly, he had a new home. He was given a new address for eternity, the address of heaven. So in this story, we see the power of God. We see three miracles, and we see faithful friends. We need to be reminded God is still doing miracles in and around and through us. And we're called to be those friends that point people to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as Almighty God, you care about us. You care about this man. Lord, I thank you for his friends who stuck with him, wouldn't quit. Till they brought him to Jesus. Lord, for those of us who are your followers, help us to be like those friends. Help us to be faithful and help us point them to Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the miracles that you perform and the greatest miracle of all, the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. No matter our circumstances today, may we be able to rest in that promise that you have given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.